the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Gideon's actions have earned him the wrath of his town, but his father steps in to defend and save him. After that, Gideon puts the Lord to the test. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 6, verse 28. Once again, that's Judges chapter 6, verse 28. Well, morning comes, verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, surprise! There's bacon on the altar. No, no bacon, they're Jewish. There's beef on the altar of Baal. Behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. It was thrashed. And the grove was cut down by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, who has done this thing? What's their reaction? Man, whoever did that, right on. That's what we've been needing to do. What have we been doing worshiping this idol? Nope. They said, who has done this thing? We worked so hard to make that beautiful altar and that amazing pole. Who destroyed it? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, well, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Gideon tried to keep it a secret, but complete secrecy is impossible when you take 10 other people with you. So the truth eventually came out. Verse 30. And so then the men of the city said unto Joash, his father, bring out your son that he may die because he has cast down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the grove that was next to it. Now, Hasn't enough suffering come to Israel because of these idols? <laughs> I mean, they're in a bad mess, barely surviving right now because of the Midianites and God's discipline. So think about this just for a minute. They're living in misery, struggling to survive because of their idolatry. But now they're ready to kill one of, not the enemy, but one of their own because he helped topple their idols? Listen, upside-down cultures are not something that's just the day we live in. <laughs> this has happened many times in the past, happened in other cultures throughout many times in history, all right? This is about as upside down as it can get. This is about as wrong as a statement that can be made. But that's how it was. So what will Gideon's father do? Well, verse 31, we'll see the results are surprisingly good. Gideon might be leadership material after all. And Joash said unto all that stood by him, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death. And when it's the morning, if he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one has cast down his altar. 
I love it here. His dad says, will you plead for Baal? You're going to fight for Baal? I mean, is that who we serve now? Is that what we're about? Are you going to save? You're going to rescue? You're going to rescue the God of thunder. You're going to rescue him from my youngest kid? That's what you're going to do here? The least important in my family? My family's not a very important family, as Gideon said. He brings a point. He says, he that will plead for him, you want to fight for him? You want to come try to put my son to death? Then let him be put to death, which is the penalty for murder, which is what it would be if they tried to kill Gideon for his actions. Gideon had done nothing wrong. And then he adds a new clause. It reads in the King James, it's let him be put to death while it's yet morning. That's not what it says. It's let him be put to death, semicolon, and when it is morning, if he be a God, referring to Baal, let him bleed for himself because one has cast down his altar. Joash says here, he says, if Baal is so special, let's give him 24 hours to rescue himself by dealing with my son. Restore his altar. Which is something, of course, that won't happen because Baal isn't real. Joash is basically saying, if Baal doesn't do anything to Gideon, what makes any of you think you have the right to? Good logic. Which is why, I know I mentioned earlier today why people get angry at Christians. But that's why it's absurd for anyone to be angry at Christians. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you get angry at the things Christians say and do, well, if everything you believe in is true, everything you're trying to accomplish is true, and we're so wrong, then just keep doing what you're doing and the goodness of man will win out, right? We'll just fade away while the rest of mankind moves on. But see, the truth is, they aren't right. Man isn't good. And goodness won't prevail on its own. So they get angry when their gods are challenged. And since their gods aren't real and they can't do anything to defend themselves, they must do something to stop anyone in their path. People may decry Christianity and you know, say we're closed-minded or whatever because they're claiming to defend freedom or equality. But all they're defending is their own ideas of truth. That's all they're doing. They're just defending the same thing we're saying we believe in. It's just, we're saying we're making a stand for the truth. And they're going, well, we're making our stand for the truth, but our truth is better than yours. And what happens when someone says, my truth is better than yours, I'm going to make you believe my truth. Ah, oh, see, now you've not become someone who believes something or someone who has an idea. Now you've become a tyrant. Now you've become a tyrant. Jesus didn't call us to be tyrants. We're not here to make people believe anything. But it's fascinating to see that those who disagree either want to make us go away or make us change. I've gotten sidetracked here, so back to our text. Gideon's actions, they have a big impact on his dad. They bring his dad back to his senses. We're going to worship there and kill my son over, over, no, man, what he did was right, and we need to get right with God. Jehovah's the living God, and Baal is make-believe. And maybe they're not done with him, but I am. And the impact on Joash was so big that he actually changed his son's name. Look at verse 32. Therefore, on that day, he called him, Gideon, Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has thrown down his altar. The phrase Jerob Baal means let Baal fight against him. And when the morning rose and Gideon was fine, this became now not just let Baal fight against him, but it became a title of honor. It came to mean the man who fought Baal and won. 
It's like calling Gideon the, the God killer or the idol killer. It's a pretty cool name, don't you think? And thus he becomes the leader of his refuge here. Now, this is just a small step. Gideon is not leading the nation yet. He's not even leading his own tribe yet. But it's a start. And every leader has to start by being faithful somewhere before they can become the idol killer. <laughs> you have to start by being faithful somewhere. Now, I would ask you then, what has God called you to be faithful with? Well, one clear answer is your family. It's right in front of you. Another answer is your work environment. It's right in front of you already. Your sphere of influence, whatever that may be, are you being faithful there? That's where it starts. When I look for leaders, if I'm going to disciple somebody or invite somebody to a leadership class or something like that and just see what the Lord might do, I never look for talented people. I stopped doing that a long time ago. When I first started pastoring a church, you know, you start waiting as people come in, you get to know them, you think, ooh, are they going to be my worship leader? Are they going to be the youth pastor? Are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? And you start thinking all these things. And then over time, I would see people come in. They might have a talent for something. I'd start investing into them. And then they'd just melt. They'd melt down, and then they'd melt other people down with them. And you, and you just go, I don't understand why that didn't work. Maybe because you didn't know their character before you started giving them responsibilities. Now, I look and say, what does his wife look at him like when he's talking? Does she respect him? Does she have an admiration for him? Does she believe in him? Or does she think, yeah, there's my turkey husband talking again? We all think that about our spouses at some time, but generally speaking, do they believe in them? I look there. I look at their kids. Do their, their kids adore, adore them? You know? Do they look up to them? That, that's what I look for. Those are the first things. And how do they conduct themselves with their family? How do they conduct themselves with just being around people here? I start listening for not when I'm looking and seeing them have a talent or maybe a gifting or anointing from God. I start listening to what other people are saying about them. People go, oh man, it was so cool. You know, we were out, you know, uh, at lunch, and then so and so just started sharing their faith, and it was so cool because, man, I thought, ah, oh, man, I knew I. That's what we needed to do. We needed to share with our server, but but they're the one that did it, and you know, it encouraged me and challenged me. And I think, oh, okay, keep my eye on that. You start with what's right in front of you, and then from there, God gives you more responsibilities. Look at verse thirty-three. Well, at that time, then shortly after this event at Gideon's refuge, wherever that was, it says the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east, this three-part coalition that had wiped out Israel seven years ago and were a misery to them since. Well, it says they were gathered together and went over. Gideon, when we first met him, remember he was threshing the wheat in a, a wine press? Well, he had gotten out in front of the enemy before they crossed the Jordan River and came into the land to harvest some grain when our story starts. He was trying to get out in front of them and get some of the harvest in before they came. But they're back now, back to wreak havoc again. And so they went over, they crossed over the Jordan River, and they pitched in the valley of Jezreel. That's the valley of Megiddo, the same place where Barak fought Sisera, the judge before Gideon. Now, later we're going to learn that the number of the soldiers in this coalition is 135,000. That's terrifying. But God empowers Gideon to respond. Look at verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. 
What does it mean the Spirit of the Lord came upon him? It says the Spirit of the Lord clothed him. Now, in the New Testament, it describes three relationships we have with the Holy Spirit. Jesus explained to the disciples, he said, he is with you and he shall be in you. I think it's John chapter 14 when that is said. So he described a relationship they already had, that he was with them. Now, John also goes on to explain that the Spirit of God, part of his job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So when he comes alongside of us, that's what he does. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of this concept that being a sinner is not normal. It's not okay. Jesus did not sin. The Son of Man did not sin. He was perfect, and so he proved it could be done. But we choose not to. That's the first job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of that concept. My kids, almost all of them, came to me at some point, and they said, you know, Dad, I'm really upset with Adam and Eve because they messed up this whole thing for us. And that's a wonderful opportunity if your kids ever come to you like that to say to them and say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you always choose to obey the Lord? And you love watching their face when you do that. Well, no. So you've kind of made the same choice they did, huh? So what's the difference that they made at first? That you made the choice too is not their fault. That's on you. And that's what the Spirit of God does to us. He comes to convict us. And when you talk to somebody and you start sharing the gospel with them, you're like, yeah, well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's an untrue statement. Christians should never say no one is perfect because Jesus was. Jesus was perfect. So that's the first thing. He says that he convicts us of sin because the Son of Man is ascended and whatever it says there. Then he convicts us of righteousness that there is a standard that God has and we have not kept it. So we say, yeah, but nobody's perfect. Okay, it's not just that nobody's perfect. Let's look at God's standard. And you see, it's not that you just failed a few times. You've broken everything. And then of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged, that there's a price to pay for that, that God has to judge sin. So he comes alongside of us to do that, to bring us to Christ. And when we come to Christ, the Bible says he comes inside of us. The moment we get saved, the Spirit of God baptizes us. Jesus baptizes us into the body of Christ. The Spirit of God comes inside of us, right? And he takes up residence with us, and he begins the work of sanctification. So the work of sanctification is making us more like Christ, making us holy. He begins to do that work of transformation, replacing and putting to death the deeds of the flesh and replacing it with the fruit of the Spirit, Okay. Now, there's a third relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit that Jesus said to them. He said, now, receive the Holy Ghost. And he says, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. They were born again. The Spirit of God came to live inside. But then he says, but wait, I don't want you to do anything until you be endued with power from on high, until you be baptized or clothed upon with the Holy Spirit. And that is the empowerment to not just change us on the inside, but to overflow us and affect people around us. And that is what this is referring to here, that Spirit of God coming upon him, clothing him. While the Old Testament saints weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that's a New Testament believer experience. While they didn't have that, they did experience the power of the Holy Spirit when God deemed it necessary. So Gideon was not going to be able to be this leader in his own strength. So the Spirit of God clothed him for this task so he could be this leader, so he could have the courage and the boldness to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm and say, the enemy's in our land and we need to go fight him. <laughs> That's a pretty crazy thing to do when you got 135,000 people sit in the valley and for seven years they've been doing whatever they wanted. But the Spirit of God helped him to get to that place. 
and he blew the trumpet. Now, Moses taught Israel to gather for battle or to stop to camp based on trumpet blasts. So this was a sound Israel had not heard since seven years ago when they had gotten whooped. Gideon has no guarantee anyone will come. But it mentions some did. It says, and Abiezer was gathered unto him. Now, remember he said, I'm the youngest, least important family member in my family, and my family comes from the least important clan in my tribe. So Gideon's family was like the least important family in this clan, and this clan was the least important clan in this tribe. And so first he leads his family. Now who rallies to his leadership? His whole clan, the whole family of Abiezer. They all come to follow his leadership. Now, like I said, Gideon had told the Lord that his family was the least important in his clan, certainly not the prime material for leadership. So why do they come? doesn't say. It was the Lord. And they show up. And when they rally to his side, Gideon sends out messengers to the rest of his tribe. Look at verse 35. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, semicolon. That's the first thing he does. So now he's going to hit the rest of his tribe who were also gathered after him. So now all the whole tribe of Manasseh comes. And then after that happened, he sent messengers unto Asher and then unto Zebulun, unto Naphtali, three other tribes in the north there. And they came up to meet him, to join his army as well. Step by step, Gideon kept being faithful and people kept coming. You know, these tribes are from the northern part of Israel, which is where the enemy's currently camped. So I don't know why Gideon doesn't send messengers to the southern tribes, because that will become a problem in future chapters. They're going to complain to him and go, why didn't you send for us too? But everyone he asked to come so far has answered the call. And that leaves Gideon a little shell-shocked. He's like, this is happening. Oh my gosh, this is happening. <laughs> and it terrifies him. So he asked God to confirm yet again that this is his will. Verse 36, and Gideon said unto God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, he confesses already that God had already told him this. So this is, this whole ritual here is superfluous. But he said to him, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew that's there in the morning be on the floor, the fleece only, but it be dry upon the earth all around it, well, then I'll know, I'll know for sure now that you will save Israel by mine hand, as you have said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and he thrust the fleece together and rang the dew out of the fleece, a full bowl of water, not a drop anywhere else, but it's all in the fleece. And the Gideon said unto God, well, let not your anger be hot against me and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray you, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Now, these five verses here, they have become a modern-day doctrine. I hear people, Christians, say all the time, well, I'm sent on a fleece to determine God's will for my life. I'm not saying that's the worst theology, but it's certainly not good theology. Gideon's not doing a good thing here, okay? By Gideon's own admission... God already told Gideon what to do. He just doesn't want to do it. And though God came through at every moment up to this point, he doesn't trust God to do it again. 
We have a word for that. It's called unbelief. <laughs> so if you are saying, yeah, I'm putting out a fleece, it means you have a problem with unbelief. It's not a problem with God's command. It's not a problem with God's faithfulness. So probably not the best thing to do as a Christian. Now, I say this, and I have done it. While God in his graciousness sometimes answers our requests, even when we're in unbelief, it is not how we're supposed to pray. Look at James chapter 1 with me. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, James says, follow Gideon's example, right? Is that what it says? Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, generously, and upbraids not. He doesn't rebuke you for coming to him with questions. And it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, King James says, but it means nothing doubting. For he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, your circumstances are what drive you rather than the Lord, showing you something. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And then it says it. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Listen, if God just ignored Gideon here and didn't do the miracle and just ignored him and said, you already know what you need to do, son. God wouldn't have done anything wrong. It's not that God will never answer. James doesn't say, well, if you ask an unbelief, God won't answer you. People teach that all the time. Well, you got to believe. You got to trust God. God won't answer. God can't answer you if you don't believe. Listen, God can do what he wants, first off. And secondly, you don't lock him into doing something by your faith. God does as he pleases. He's sovereign. He does what he pleases. So God does what he pleases, all right? However, he wants us to ask in faith. Because when we ask in faith, that's the only time we can expect God to answer. If you're asking unbelief, you're not expecting God to answer. You're looking for a way out. You're looking for a way out. And so, Gideon, he's not doing a good thing here. I remember when we got the news that Pastor Gibb was retiring. And so, we all gathered around. We held hands. We prayed for Calvary Chapel Randall. God would help him find a new pastor. He'd be with Pastor Gibb and help him with his health and, and watch over the church and, and lead him and guide him in the direction for them to get a new pastor. And I remember sitting there and I was going, praying, just praying for you know, God to bless the church and lead and guide him. And, and I felt so clear. The Lord said, it's you. And so we get done praying and everybody goes their way. And I'm just kind of sitting there and I was kind of shell-shocked by the news because Gibb's probably one of the, still one of the healthiest men I've ever met in my life. Pretty sure his handshake's still better than mine. Probably sure he beat me in ping pong still. I never imagined anything ever happening to him that would physically need to retire. And so I was kind of stunned. But then that, when that thought hit me, I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, and and that, that's not the Lord. And I thought, why would God do something like that? And I just dismissed it out of hand. And I couldn't sleep that night. And so... I woke up in the morning and I said, Lord, I am not talking to you about this unless someone from Calvary Chapel Orlando calls me and tells me I should apply. My fleece. Because I didn't want to do it. Well, <laughs> that afternoon I got a call from Pastor Gibb. He was returning my call because I knew he had been in the hospital, but I didn't 
I didn't realize that he was retiring and that just caught me by surprise. And so I called him, I said, I want to make sure you're doing okay. And so he was returning my call and he was letting me know he's doing great, doing fine. Just really believe, you know, God's doing this, da, da, da. And started telling me about the process that they were going to be going through eventually and stuff. And, you know, just how people say things. And he just goes, hey, you should throw your hat in the ring. And I just, he says that. And I'm like, Daniel, I'm astonished for an hour. And he goes, you okay? And I said, no. And I go, why did you say that? And then Pastor Gibb was quiet. And he goes, no reason. I said, are you sure? He said, no. And then I hung up. I waited six weeks to apply. I must have put out five or six other tests. It had nothing to do with what I knew God wanted me to do. It had to do with I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to take a step of faith again. I didn't want to do something new. I hate change. Listen, that is the exact opposite of our Savior, who when he didn't want to do something that God called him to do, what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. No tests for his father, none. Submission. That's how we're supposed to pray. But God, because he wants Gideon to trust him, and like so often graciously does with us, like he did with me, because God wants others to experience his blessings, he, he answers Gideon's requests of unbelief. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.